we're here today and we are continuing our series that we've entitled Hope Found. I want to start this morning by telling you a story. A story about this man who, on the outside, everyone would say, he's got it. He's got it all. I mean, he was carted around like a hero. He was a hero. For two and a half years, this man by the name of Louis, Louis Zamperini, otherwise known as Louis, every single day was tortured. He was tortured in a, in a Japanese imprisonment camp. He was tortured because he would not break. Now, after World War II, he had been carted around month after month for years, two, three, four years. They held events just for him to come and speak, to come and be seen. And on the outside, everything was great, but on the inside, Everything was broken. Louis Zamperini, who in one of those events found, was introduced to, found his wife, Cynthia. Everything was breaking up. But before he was in, tortured in an imprisonment camp, he was a hero because he was an Olympic runner. He was nicknamed the Torrance Tornado for how he went about the track. There was something that running engaged this team. He ran because of his past. He ran to try to get away from his past. But mainly he ran because he loved and enjoyed running. At the time that he was running track as a teenager... Questions started in that world. Can there be a man who would run a sub-four-minute mile? He set out to prove that was just the case. He was running a mile in the Olympics. And that last lap of the mile, he was so far behind, there was no way that he was going to win. But that last lap, he ran it the fastest that any man has ever run a lap, run the last lap of that mile race. He ran it so fast that a man in the stands by the name of Adolf Hitler said, I don't care about talking to the winner, I want to talk to that guy. And so Louis was ushered up there in Berlin and he shook hands with Adolf Hitler and Adolf Hitler said, Something's astounding. Not really. He said, you're the guy who ran a fast last lap. And that was it. But it stuck with Louis. After that race, he went to college. He went to USC. He was a, a Trojan there in the Los Angeles area. And as he ran track, every one of his competitors sought not to just win the race, but sought to stop him from winning the race. After every race, it stated in his college years, he would come out of the race bloodied by his shins, from his shins down, all because his competitors would seek to hit him in the shins with their spikes to stop him. 
But he kept running. He went into the war as a bomber. It's amazing that he lived through the war. It's amazing that he made it to the imprisonment camp. He he made it to the imprisonment camp after his airplane, titled Superman, was hit with some 200 bullets, some 20 cannons, hit the ship, hit the fuselage fuselage of the ship. Most of them made an imprint bigger than somebody's face. Yet the plane continued to fly. It was finally stated that that plane was unflyable after one of the last attacks on that plane and a number of the crew was injured and the crew itself was split up. He was sent from that base to a base in Hawaii and soon he would find himself on a plane that was really not fit to fly. And it went down in the Pacific. Three members, himself and two others, lived through that crash. And they were set adrift for 47 days in the Pacific. 47 days. Day 26, a bomber came over them and they thought that it was an American plane and they they shot the flare and it started circling and it soon brought out its machine guns and it hit the life raft 48 times. Zambini, Zamperini, excuse me, not Zambini, that's a hockey thing. Zamperini hit the ocean. For 30 minutes, this plane circled over them. For 30 minutes, there was machine guns firing upon this life raft. And for 30 minutes, he found himself in the ocean fighting off not just the machine gun, but fighting off a shark. And every time the shark would come to attack, he would hit it in its snout. Day 33, one of the three men in the life raft died. Day 46, they saw an island. Day 46 at night, huge storm came. Day 47, they were washed upon the shore. And immediately they were imprisoned because it was held by the Japanese. And for two and a half years, every single day, Louis was tortured. Every single day he was tortured, mainly by one man that became known as Mr. Bird. Mr. Bird was the chief officer of the camp, and for two and a half years, he tried his absolute best to break Louis. So why did I tell you this story? I tell you this story because even though some of you and I, we, we've never seen an imprisonment camp with our eyes, let alone ever been physically enslaved in a prison camp. But for two and a half years, this man was. We have never been imprisoned as a people, as, as an individual, as a group, yet this man was. So why do I tell you this story? Because even though we have not gone through the things that he went through. You and I can easily find ourselves in the same place where he was. You and I today might find ourselves 
I dare say there are some of us in this room that are entrapped just like he was entrapped. That we were, we are enslaved just like he was enslaved. We are living a life that on the outside everything looks great, but on the inside there is shambles because there seems to be no hope. Colossians chapter 1, we continue our study on this subject titled, Hope Found. Let me read for us verse 19 through verse 21, and we continue to see what our hope is found in, who our hope is found in. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't, the verses will be on the screen. Let me read them for us. As we see hope found in the cross of Calvary today. Paul wrote these words in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Last week that's what we saw. We looked at the attributes. We looked at the characteristics of who Christ was. And time and time again verse after verse in this passage. We saw that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. Because of who Christ is. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's all of those things. Everything that's been created was created in Him and by Him, through Him, and for Him. So in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. But continue that sentence in verse 20. It says, and through Him. So last week we talked about Him, all those things that are in Him. This week I want us to see What happens through him? Through him, God reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his Death for one reason, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Heavenly Father, God, in this moment today, you have something to say to every individual in this room. Father, in this moment, Today, there is a word for us as a church. Father, there's a word for me in in this passage for me to, to grab a hold of because you have spoken this word. You have given us this example of yourself and of your son. God, may every single one of us in this place Clearly see that hope can be found. Hope is found in Jesus. Jesus, in your cross, there is hope. Father, there's hope for a life that seems good on the outside, yet in shambles on the inside. There's hope, Father, for a life that is entangled and ensnared and trapped by sin. 
that nobody knows about or that everybody around us knows about. There is hope, and that hope is found in you. May we see that today. God, would you speak through this passage, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Two points this morning from this passage. The first is this, that hope is found in a new relationship with God. Hope is found by having a new relationship with God. Last week we looked at all the characteristics and all the attributes of who Christ is. Today we find ourselves looking at this phrase in verse number 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you and I need to, we need to do some diagramming. We need to go to English class for just a moment to figure out who the hymns are, because there's really two that are happening in this passage. It states this. Let me read verse 19 and 20 for us again. He says this. For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, through Christ, to reconcile to Himself, to reconcile to God all things, making peace by the blood of His cross, Christ's. Jesus' cross. The way that you and I can have hope in Christ is through that blood of His cross. You say, I don't, I don't understand where you're going. Okay, so let me try to get us all to understand. You sinned. You sinned yesterday. You sinned maybe the day before, the week before, the month before, the year before. You came into this world as a baby who sinned. You were depraved. I was depraved. Every single creation, every single person that has been born came into this world as a sinner. And God knew that. And God knew that before you came into this world. God knew that before He even created this world because before the foundation of this world, He had a conversation with Himself, His Son, Jesus, and said, one day you're going to have to go and you're going to have to pay for their sin. And Jesus said, I will. And at the proper time, He did. And He paid for for a five-year-old sin of stealing gumballs every single day from my dad's grocery store. And he paid for a 13-year-old's argument with his sister over how to hang clothes in the backyard because his, his mom told him he had to hang clothes. Yet he was upset that he had to hang clothes, so he got in a fight with his sister and slapped her across the face because she didn't like how he was hanging clothes. He paid for those sins. He's paid for every other one of my sins. And He's paid for all of your sin. But the question is, who did He pay? Who did He pay? 
He had to come, and he had to die, and he did come, and he did die. But who did he pay when he died? He didn't pay me. He didn't pay Satan. He didn't pay sin. He paid God. Through the blood of his cross, payment was made for Brian Tillman, for you, for River Bend, for every single person. It doesn't say that. You know what it says? Look back in verse 20. For everything on earth and everything in heaven was reconciled through the blood of his cross. On the screen you'll see a verse. Romans chapter 3 verse 26 states this. In Romans chapter 3, verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that the reason that he went to the cross, here's some context behind this, the reason he went to the cross, the reason that he did what he did was so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ, the one who has faith in Jesus. The reason that he went to the cross was because he wanted you justified. But he was just, so there had to be payment for sin. I could not just get away with it and say, you know what, yeah, that was just because I was five. That was just because I was 13. That was just because I was 43 that I did that. No. Somebody had to pay. I'm, I'm reading through Leviticus right now in my quiet time, and... It is amazing to see. You're like, Leviticus is amazing? Yeah, Leviticus is amazing to see. Go read chapter 1. Go read chapter 2. Go read chapter 3, chapter 4. As it states, all these different sacrifices are being made. Sacrifice for the burnt offering. Sacrifice for the grain offering. Sacrifice for the sin offering. Sacrifice for the peace offering. All of these offerings are made. And every single one of them states why they're made. For the Lord. And there was a payment, a sacrifice that was made outside of Jerusalem one day, nailed to a cross for the Lord. To pay Him. And you and I can have hope. Because this one who was just is also the justifier. I was thinking about it this week, and there's, there's another passage in Psalm chapter 51 where you all know the guy. You've heard of this guy. This guy's by the name of David, and this guy was the greatest king of his day. He had everything that he wanted, and something happened, and he wrote about it in chapter 51, verse number 4. He says, against you, he's speaking to God, this is a prayer, he says, against you and against you only have I sinned and have I done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Well, what did David do? Well, David stayed in a place that he shouldn't have stayed in because it was the time that kings and armies went to war and David stayed at the house. So guys... And gals, we don't need to stay at the house when we need to be somewhere else where we're supposed to be. But then he did something. He looked at someone that he should not have looked at. 
It's not that his eyes glanced over and saw this woman. No, the word there is that his gaze was fixed on her and he would not take his eyes off of her while she was doing what she needed to be doing, which was bathing. And he looked and he looked and he looked and he looked and he said to himself, I want that. And he sent somebody to go get that, and that was Bathsheba. And his sin was that he was in a place that he shouldn't have been. His sin was that he was looking at something that he should not have been looking at. His sin was that he took something that was not his. His sin was that of adultery. His sin was that he was trying to cover it up, and for months he kept silent. His sin was murder. Because he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to try to cover his sin. But how David puts it is this. He didn't sin against himself. He didn't sin against Bathsheba, Uriah, against Israel. No, he sinned against the Lord. Against you and you only have I sinned. Sir, you have some thoughts. You have some thoughts that you've kept inside. You're like, I'm not sinning against anybody because those thoughts are inside my head and I don't let anybody else know about it. Nope, it's sin. And just to let you know, ladies, you have those same thoughts. But what you and I don't understand about our thoughts or our words or even our actions, oftentimes we think that we have sinned against somebody and we've really just sinned against one. And the way that you and I can have hope today is by understanding, by understanding that our sin is against Him. So second, we see this, not just that hope is found in a new relationship with Christ, but let me try to draw the net with the second point. The second point is this, that peace is found by His cross. And the peace by His cross, it brings hope for you and me today. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture. It is the story of the cross. And as I read it, I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. As I read this passage, as I read the text in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 23, you can follow along in your copy of God's Word or you can look at the screen as I read it. But I want you to think about this. He did all of this for me. He did it for you. The reason He went to the cross was because of you. The reason he paid the price that he paid was because of you. And here is what he states in chapter 23, verse 26. Luke records the crucifixion this way. And as they led him away, they led Jesus away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women, who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Now just 
let's stop for just a second. What has happened to Jesus? Jesus has been up all night. Jesus has gone through some five courts in a night's span. Jesus has been tied to a post and has been whipped with a cat of nine tails by a professional who knew exactly where to place that cat of nine tails, that whip that had glass and bones and lead in it to pound the flesh. Jesus was so weak that he fell and they had to get somebody to carry his cross. And now when he hears people mourning and lamenting for him, he turns to him and says, hey, don't, don't, don't lament for me. Don't mourn for me. The compassion that Jesus has. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Do not weep for me, but weep for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breast that never nursed. Verse 30. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, then the wood is green. What will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals, were led away and put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man, he's done nothing wrong. That criminal said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And here's the death, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain, we sang about this just a moment ago, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. 
and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. And it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They returned and prepared spices and ointment. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. In that passage we see the cross. We see the historical event, and yes, that was a gruesome sight to see. But spiritually, it was far worse than the physical eye could take, than the physical eye could see, because when one sees spiritually, you see the depth and the horror of your sin. You see how there was a chasm. There was a cliff and you were on the side of the cliff and there is nowhere for you to go because your relationship with God is failed. Your relationship with God has not been reconciled because everything you have tried in your past, everything that you have thought about, how can I have a right standing with God? It has come up short. And here is this one who is paying a price that he did not deserve to pay. Here is this one, as Paul wrote about him in Colossians chapter 1, here is this one who is reconciling all of creation, things in earth and in heaven, and making peace by the blood of his cross. So let's talk for just a moment about reconciliation. It's something that every person in this room seeks for. It's something that everybody in this room desires. They want to be in right standing with somebody else. They want to have all their relationships to be in right standing. Yet the one that matters, the one with God, cannot be reconciled. Oftentimes, you and I skip over. We don't think about what he did on the cross. Because honestly, what he did on the cross allows you to have a right relationship with your parents. You know, those, those parents that, that may not have accepted your desire or your path for the life that you're now living, or maybe they didn't, they didn't accept the person that you married. They didn't accept the, the career choice that you made 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And it's just in the back burner. It's just on, on the back of the table, and you don't bring it up, but it's still there. But because he died, 
your relationship with them can be reconciled. He reconciled all things, things on earth and in heaven. He reconciled all the universe to himself. He reconciled everything. Kids, you think your parents don't have a clue what's right or wrong. You think you know everything. You're wrong, but your relationship with your parents as teenagers can be reconciled because of what he did on the cross. Your your relationship with your boss, sir, your relationship with your boss, ma'am, you think they are tyrants, you think that they don't have a clue, and there is some enmity between you and them, he reconciled you. So therefore, that relationship can be reconciled. Let me close by telling you the end of Louis' story. The year was 1950. Louis made his way. It's not even been five years since he was set free from those imprisonment camps. Louis made his way back to Japan. But Louis was changed because in 1949, A week after Cynthia, his wife, went to a lawyer and drew up papers of divorce, her friends took her to a crusade by a not-so-well-known-then man by the name of Billy Graham. And sitting underneath, at the time, the largest tent that was ever made for people to sit under some 6,500 every single night for eight weeks straight, the gospel was proclaimed in Los Angeles. And it reminded her of her relationship with the Father. It reminded her of her relationship with Jesus, something that she had put on the back burner. And she came back to him, and then she went to her husband, who was at home, an alcoholic, drinking away all of his problems, all of his nightmares, all of his torture, who thought life was great, but life was terrible. And he told her, she told him, excuse me, she said, here are the papers that I had drawn up for a divorce, but I was reminded tonight that as a believer, that's not how I'm supposed to be. So therefore, I'm not going to divorce you, but I would wish that you would come with me to the crusade. And the next night he went to the crusade, and he got saved. Jesus changed his life. And in that moment that Jesus changed his life, the hatred for every one of those who tortured him, for every one of those who beat him, it changed because that relationship with Jesus was reconciled. He went in 1950 to seek after the man that was known as Mr. Bird. Every one of the guards allowed him to talk to them. Every one of the guards shook his hand. Every one of the guards received the forgiveness that he had for them except one, Mr. Bird. He went back number, numerous times. The last in 1998 It was the Winter Olympics, and he went to Japan to celebrate with other Olympians. And he sought out one last time Mr. Bird. Went to his house. Mr. Bird would not come outside. Mr. Bird would not look at his face. 
Mr. Bird would not. Even though he had written him a number of times to ask for, to tell him, I forgive you, to tell him about Jesus, he would not have the conversation. But it wasn't because of Louis. It was because of this one Mr. Bird who was still entrapped and ensnared. I close that out this morning to give it full circle for you and for me because reconciliation with the Father is available to you. The work has been done. The cross of Christ, the cross of Calvary that we celebrate Yes, it was a gory sight. Yes, the blood was spilt, and it needed to be spilt for your sin and for my sin. It was spilt and shed so that our relationship with the Father might be reconciled. It was also spilt so that relationships with others might be reconciled. And some of you. Carrying around baggage from relationships with others that you don't need to take around anymore. What, what's it helping for you carrying around what happened 15, 20, 30 years ago? What's it helping? All it is is bringing you down. When you understand that there is reconciliation and that reconciliation was made for all of creation in heaven and on earth. When that reconciliation was made so that you and I might have a right standing with the Father and we might have a right standing with others, yet you and I hold on to it. Why? Because we think we're in charge? We're not in charge. Why? Because you think you've dealt with it? You haven't dealt with it. The only way to deal with it is to give it to him. Because that's why he died. To reconcile all things to himself. And that is where hope is found. It took all the experiences of Louis' life to get him to a place where he understood Love, grace, forgiveness. It took all those spikes in his shin. It took all the the days adrift at the sea. It took all the days in the imprisonment camp. No. All it took was him turning to Jesus. Because Jesus has already paid for all of it. And all it, took, all it takes for you and for me is not to recall back all the events and all the, the terrible things of our life from three years old, four years old, 14 years old. No, it, it doesn't take that. It takes you and me looking to Him. Because that's where hope's found. It's in His cross where He shed blood for you. Blood that was needed to be shed for you. Because he desires to reconcile his relationship with you. Father, it's so easy for us to come to this time of year. To just celebrate Easter because of things in tradition. 
to celebrate Easter because this is what we did last spring. This is what we did as, as a youngster, as a student. This is what we did because our moms and our dads and our grandmothers and our grandfathers wanted us to do this. In actuality, Father, this, you dying on a cross, Jesus, was your plan to save a sinner named Brian Tillman, to save men and women, boys and girls of all tongues and tribes and nations, in all generations. It was your plan, and you worked it to perfection. Jesus, I pray that from this moment forward, that we who have heard afresh and anew the story of what you did for us as individuals, Father, that I would live differently. That River Bend would speak boldly for how much you have loved us and all that you've done for us. And I know it starts right now at this moment. It, it starts, Father, with more than a decision, it starts with a surrender. God, it starts with you. Sir, He loves you so much. He desires for you to know Him. He desires for you to come to Him just as He has come to you. Totally left all the glory in heaven so that He might make a way for you. Ma'am, He has made a way for you. Students, He's made a way that you and I could have a right relationship with Him. He desires for you to come. Nothing special at the front, but there's something special in a Savior. We invite you to respond this morning. If you need for me to pray with you, I'll be more than happy to pray with you. You can stay right in your seat. You can stand and sing. We're going to sing and invite you to join with us, but more than that, we invite you to obey Him. You respond this morning.